0: cool all right you were about to ask me
1: I was, I was about to tee you up
0: um banter 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 energy go <laughs> you're listening to i might be wrong a podcast hosted by myself rich neenam and my co-host henry Salmon. You are obviously listening to I Might Be Wrong. I've got Henry with me. How are you doing?
1: Hello. Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Looking forward to another episode.
0: Excellent, excellent.
1: So I think it's your choice this week. Who have you got for us?
0: Uh, I have gone with one that might get me laughed at a little bit because they're not a cool band, Dire Straits.
1: Well, it's better than who I thought you'd suggested because y- you messaged me or I messaged you earlier and for some reason when you told me who you were going to pick i thought you'd chosen iron maiden which <laughs> uh, and i'm kind of baffled and i was thinking bloody hell he's gone for a he's gone for a metal band i was like rich iron maiden they're like a bit that's a bit different we're not doing iron maiden which makes my iron maiden research kind of <laughs> redundant <laughs>
0: Yeah, we we did have this conversation over the weekend that it was going to be Dire Straits, but yeah, maybe the two are interchangeable in your mind.
1: Well, uh, yeah, sonically, maybe not. Probably not. Probably not. Anyway, so give us an introduction to, um, for those
0: who don't know who Dire Straits are, give us an overview. Okay, so Dire Straits are, well, they were, because they no longer exist as a band, formed in London in the late 70s, although they're not all from... London. Original band members were Mark Knopfler, his brother David Knopfler, John Ilsley, and Pick Withers. So Mark, John and Pick were all consistent band members throughout. David Knopfler was in the band for the first couple of albums and then dropped out. And then over the years they've added people like Alan Clark, Hal Linders, Terry Williams, Guy Fletcher and Jack Sonny most of those guys were pretty consistent throughout the 80s. Alan Clark was one of the big additions. He seems to have been a fairly heavy influence on the third album onwards. So Mark and David Knopfler are from Newcastle, and Mark Knopfler is the man who is most thought of when people think of Dire Straits. He's the front man. He's the lead guitarist. He is an incredibly technically brilliant guitarist, which... I don't think anyone would argue with, even that they don't particularly like Dire Straits. Going Home, for example, from Local Hero is a Knopfler solo track that gets played at Newcastle United home games. So that's that's pretty well known. And that's a beautiful track. The, the guitar on that is absolutely incredible. I don't know if you know it well. I, I don't know that track, but
1: you can spot a Mark Knopfler solo a mile off. It's a bit like a Brian May solo. You just mm-hmm. know, like there's there's that clean sound of the guitar, and he'll he'll make that guitar sing, and it is very
0: it's very stylish. He has his own own way. See, I think you will recognise that track. the The local hero thing is is I think it's one of those tracks that you just would recognise even though you don't know it. So yeah, they're an interesting one. So they were formed in the late seventies and went through to. Well, initially the mid-80s, and then they broke up and then they got back together in the 90s for a bit, but didn't really release any new stuff. The album that I've gone for is On The Night, which is actually a live recording, which is a bit of a weird one for me to select. So if you ask me to pick the best Dire Straits albums, I'm probably going to say either their debut, Dire Straits, or Brothers in Arms, which is the one that everyone knows well. And that's quite a polarising album because a lot of people see it as a bit Muzaki. I I disagree with that point of view. I think it's lazy to dismiss that album because it's an an easy listening album. It's a very easy listening album. And I don't dismiss that, but it's also musically great and there's some brilliant lyricism in there. I was going to say that Brothers in Arms is the one
1: that I know. And if you can kind of go through the track listing there are like four or five songs that you just know yep. just straight off the bat so it's the, it seems to be their most popular one um, I don't know their
0: their first album though so that, that's kind of new to me You'll know some stuff off it so Down by the River for example is a track that I had earmarked as not on On the Night but is a really great track to listen to and Sultans of Swing is another we'll come back to those guys but they are Classics Absolute classics and they sort of sum up the early Dire straight sounds. So Brothers in Arms is a very big stadium rock album. It's sort of a, it's almost a precursor to the sort of Bruce Springsteen type love. So it's these big stadium sounds, lots of beautiful guitars, big solos, all that kind of stuff. And and I love it for what it is, but it's not where they started out, which was Mark Knopfler bringing this Blues, country, folk sounds. There's lots of slide guitar. There's a lot of I mean, that first album is very heavily not Fleur says it himself, blues. He was listening to a lot of those early artists. But yeah, he is he's very heavily influenced by by that style of things. And it's great to hear all of that. So you, you know, slide guitar and national guitars, which we talked about a little bit. On a previous podcast.
1: Yeah, we, we did. They they kind of remind me of the Eagles quite a lot in that kind of Americana-type style. And the Eagles slightly predated them, and the Eagles massive. So yeah. I wonder whether... Um, similar stadium rock. Yeah, it's a similar kind of style. Yeah, exactly.
0: So... One of the things that's really going to make people love or hate Dire Straits is the sound of Mark Knopfler's voice. He has a very bassy voice. It's gruff. It's it's sort of northern gruffness. And part of me wonders whether his vocals and his sound, alongside a lot of Johnny Cash that I listened to as a kid that my dad used to play in the car, is that influence that has led me to enjoy Elbow and Doves with their vocalists being very gruff and... Northern and matter of facty sounding.
1: Yeah, he does have that style, doesn't he? Although I do remember <laughs> the uh, the anecdote, well, at the time, we were in Thekla waiting for a gig to start. And Thekla, if you don't know it, is a, is a boat in Bristol which hosts gigs. And we were there, what, last year, I think? And we were waiting for this band to come on. And this background music comes on. And you were like, oh, quality song. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I, I don't know it. And you said, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. As soon as you hear the music kick in properly, you'll, you'll know. So I sat there and I thought, like, I, don't, I don't know it. And then the guitar starts and you're like, now you know it. And I'm like, I, I don't, what, what is this? What is this music? And you're like, all right, just wait for the voice. As soon as the voice comes in, you'll know this. And the voice comes in and I'm like, I kind of recognize it. And he was like, you idiot, it's Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. And <laughs> I had this massive, like, sonic kind of, I don't know, wall where I just could not recognise it. But uh, I should. Um, your reaction kind of shows what should have happened, which is you should know the guitar and you should know the voice because they are so distinctive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, he doesn't like the sound of his own voice. Right. Which, Which is sort of a theme with those guys that have that, that vocal style because when we talked about doves we talked about the fact that jimmy goodwin not necessarily wasn't a fan of his own voice but they didn't see him as a natural lead singer i suspect that's for the same reasons that it's not a classical rock or pop type voice yeah so how did you come across them was it
1: in the car or was it your dad's vinyl that was playing
0: no, that that's that's a good question, but surprisingly for a dad rock band, it wasn't my dad that introduced me to them. It was my older brother who brought home this album and I think I've mentioned on the podcast before I shared a room with my brother when we were growing up. And so if my brother's playing an album, I'm going to end up listening to it. That's just the way it works. And so we listened to this album a lot and I really I really like this album. It's it's a great live album. It was recorded in 1992 on the On Every Street tour, and it was recorded across two different stadiums, so one in France and one in the Netherlands. One of the things that I really love about it is that they've kept a really good amount of the crowd noise in, so you can Mm -hmm. really hear the energy in the crowd, and you can hear this. They've come on the stage at the start of the album because there's this big roar from the crowd, and then they get going with the actual music and that's exactly how it is if you're in that kind of venue in that kind of scenario just this massive roar goes up as soon as you see people coming on stage i struggle with live albums purely for
1: that reason it's like shut up crowd i want to listen to the song and so i i don't like live albums as a as a thing
0: they're faded back during the songs Almost exclusively, and so it's mostly in between song crowd noise, but you can hear the crowd singing along on Brothers in Arms, which almost makes that better. True, yeah. I, the thing that annoys me is someone will do a recording
1: and you'll hear some idiot in the back yelling and kind of gargling around with his beer, and you just think, Look, just I'm not here for you. Yeah, I, I get it at a gig, it's fine, but just not with a with a recording
0: yeah but this is again this is another thing obviously my brother introduced them to me and i'm in my mid-teens and this is way after when they were initially famous because obviously that would have been late 70s early 80s and this is 10 12 years later than that one of the things that they've always fought against is they've never been a band of the time that they're in they've very much been a band out of time so they started in the punk era that punk era really they didn't like dire straits they were sort of mocked and laughed at and what is this bluesy country sound this this is old music for the past no longer to be created or listened to ever again and and it's fascinating how music has done that where you've had this wave of different types of music from, I guess from the forties and fifties is when modern music really started being part of mainstream culture. And then you've had all these different waves of music going through. And it's only really when you get into the nineties with the Britpop pop throwbacks that you suddenly get a wave coming back around where the people in those bands have been influenced as kids by the stuff they've been listening to growing up.
1: Whoa. Yeah. I'm trying to work out how that how that works. There must be actually you're right. Well, the the eighties were kind of new. They weren't really influenced by Well you had keyboards all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all the electronic music just all kicked in. Yeah, good point.
0: I guess the seventies to a certain extent you could say were influenced by the fifties. So you had, you know, Elvis and, and pre Elvis, um, you know, some of the some of the black rock and roll guitar types who who influenced the Beatles and the monkeys and the, you know, all of the Beach Boys, that kind of era. Like James Brown. Yeah, exactly. But it wasn't, it wasn't the same type of music. It wasn't people recreating that music. It was people taking some of the influences and doing something new and modern with it. Whereas Britpop was very much people recreating a previous era's worth of music. I mean, Oasis sound like the Beatles there's no two ways about it that's just it's always been acknowledged by the band themselves and by everyone that's ever listened to them true true yeah interesting so
1: back to dad rock um yeah do do, do you think do you think dad rock is unfair
0: um i do and i don't i think sneering dad rock is unfair because i think musically dire straits are fantastic. The guitar is brilliant. I love his vocals. I love the lyrics that come with it and saxophone as well. You don't really hear it nowadays but I love it as part of Dire Straits sound. It's it's a soft and easy listening style of music. It's never going to challenge you that hard. It's never that aggressive but sometimes I don't want to listen to hard or aggressive or difficult to listen to music. You know me. I love some of the weird quirky shit that Radiohead do. I love. Really difficult to get into electronica, but I don't always listen to that kind of music and I don't always want to. True. And Dire Straight sits in that easier listening category. I mean, they've influenced people in that category as well. So, Counting Crows are one of the bands that count them as an influence. And there are plenty of others that have sort of talked about them as being a big influence on them. And so, yeah, I think dad rock is fair in terms of it being an easy listening category that isn't particularly challenging, but people sneer at music that is easy listening. Like you said Enya in an almost slightly embarrassed way, and I think our very first podcast. Yeah, don't knock Enya. <laughs> but again, Enya's great to listen to if all you want is something chilled out and you've had a shitty day and you just want to relax. True. True. Yeah, yeah, I yeah get it. And that's kind of how I see them. I, I understand why people don't like them. I can absolutely understand if you're a punk or heavy metaler or you love your industrial music. Yeah, you're probably not going to like this stuff. But it's definitely popular for a reason. And good popular music is still good music. Yeah. There's plenty of shit pop, but this sort of counts as good pop rock for me. Give us some some of the best examples of, of of their work. All right, well, the opening track on the album is fantastic. Calling Elvis, it's a brilliant, brilliant track. It's got fantastic opening guitar, which is really, really great quality. It's got that classic Dire Straits. The later Dire Straits albums have this dueling guitar thing going on, and anyone who's listened to Dire Straits knows that sound it's sort of this kind of repetitive melody not rhythm guitar but not lead guitar it's it's still solo style but it's often a repeated style of guitar and then you've got Knopfler's guitar that's kind of wailing over the top of it and has got a lot more artistic license to be a bit more creative
1: yeah yeah it's almost used like a kind of vocal isn't it the way it just kind of dances along the top of the
0: track it is it's almost a high key melody to kind of balance his voice which is very bassy. Yeah. So yeah, great way to start the album. Absolutely love Calling Elvis. It's just it's just a great rock track. And then the next one that I've got to talk about is going to have to be Money for Nothing because you can't talk about Dire Straits and not talk about Money for Nothing. So it's instantly recognizable. You've got that big build-up drumming intro solo drums almost i guess and that builds up and builds up and builds up and builds up and And then it hits its crescendo peak stops and you get this guitar that just kicks in that everyone who's ever listened to rock music will know the guitar from money for nothing right
1: yeah it's an absolute classic and it's the kind of thing that was copied if you watch 80s films this track was either used in them or someone tried to copy them to have that kind of sound of the guitar playing, especially when, you know, the lead characters walking under shot and having that song in the background, it's either mimicked or it's
0: actually used. The reason why he got to that guitar sound was because Dire Straits were sort of struggling with why they weren't more popular, why they weren't getting MTV coverage, hence the I want my MTV bit in there. Which is sung by Sting. Did you know that? I did not know Sting was here. No. Yeah. That's cool. Sting gets co-writing credits on this song. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. And that's his voice singing, I want my MTV to the sound of a Sting song. Oh, wow. Okay. You can listen to it. Awesome. So he was obsessed with trying to get more credibility with mainstream radio and with MTV and he'd sort of got this obsession with ZZ Top, who were pretty big at the time, were getting lots of MTV coverage, and so he apparently put a Les Paul through a wah-wah pedal and created that rough chugging guitar noise that's very, very recognisable from that track. That's That's the reason why he ended up there, was because he really wanted to have that more mainstream success, which is ironic because then that album was the one where he sort of went oh shit I really don't want this level of fame and success it's actually quite overwhelming and I'd like to go back to just writing music and it's sort of the main driving force behind why Dire Straits broke up yeah it's a quite long track as well it
1: goes on for like eight minutes or so.
0: Well, he wasn't scared about writing longer tracks after those first couple of albums. They sort of lean into that. And that's, again, we've talked about bands being obsessed with music, scores, and film soundtracks, and Knopfler was. And so some of that music from their third album, onwards is, is quite thematic and filmic. Yeah. This is another one that's interesting to me in terms of the lyrics. There's a couple of things here, right? So firstly, Knopfler wrote the lyrics... Having stood in an electronic store with a couple of workers watching MTV and basically bitching about these guys getting literally money for nothing, oh, what are you doing? No. You're playing in a rock band, standing yeah, standing around being on the MTV, and so all the lyrics are, are from him listening to those guys talking about it and then deciding to write music around that.
1: Amazing how that kind of little piece of inspiration has um,
0: has, has caused that. Wow. It's fascinating. But there's a dark side to this track as well. So this track often is played without the, I think, second verse or third verse, because in that verse, Knopfler's lyrics uses the word faggot three times. And that was pretty controversial at the time. It's much more so now. And so that version of the song has been banned in places like Canada and other places. And even on their own greatest hits, they've got a version that has that specific verse removed. And in some recorded versions, there's different words. In the live version, he uses it, I think, in the first line, but replaces the other two. Right. He's talked about being in two minds about it in terms of, It's written from a third-person perspective, and so he wants to portray an authentic voice for that third person, but he accepts that it's controversial, and he regrets the fact that that has become a focus and that he probably should have picked other words instead of that one. Because all he's really trying to do is put across this kind of begrudging but impressed mindset of like, uh, fucking bastards but they've they've succeeded and i'm sort of envious but also sort of impressed
1: yeah and he's just picked a uh, not a great
0: choice of word to to express that exactly exactly and so i think you couldn't talk about that song without talking about that controversial side of it but at the same time i think him recognizing that and then trying to sort of move away from it over time as you can see that they're not they're not trying to excuse it they're just they recognise it was probably a mistake that they've moved away from. Yeah. So other tracks that we should talk about are Private Investigations and On Every Street I love. It's the storytelling. Yeah. Dire Straits do an amazing job of storytelling, and both of these songs highlight them doing that. They're a bit Dylan-like in terms of how they tell those stories, but sort of with this obsession over 20s film noir you know talking from that detective's perspective is is just fantastic and i love that in those songs i mean other tracks like romeo
1: and juliet they they disappear off and tell a whole story off the off the back of the shakespeare play and and they get off on that and it, and it works as well i mean it, he's he, he can make a successful song out of a out of a decent story
0: i really like romeo and juliet for the fact that it's not just a retelling of the actual story it's sort of told from a a slightly quirky off angle where the actual Romeo and Juliet romance has happened and then they've split up and then he's come back and gone I'm successful now and she's like eh whatever I'm I'm over you I'm done with you I've moved on and sort of the stuff around that so the lyric of it was just that the time was wrong is, is a fascinating twist to that using that tale in that way
1: yeah it's it is nice he's, he's used the shakespeare framework and said actually i'm not going to copy you I'll you can have that story I'll, here's my own
0: yeah it's cool and i think most people have gone through something like that where they've had a romance that just hasn't worked because for whatever reason the wrong time for it and and yeah so i like i like that and then we've got to come back to brothers in arms which closes the album <laughs> Yeah, which I didn't understand. (laughs) Couldn't work out in that gig venue. Idiot. I love that song so much. So the opening guitar on that almost makes me cry in terms of just the sound of it. It's so emotive without being lyrical. It it sort of, it portrays that emotion in a way that I don't know a lot of guitar solos can, if that makes sense.
1: I I think the reason for that is that he allows it time to happen. Mm -hmm. So, so many songs... Someone will launch into a solo, do a kind of twenty second noodle around, and then they'll start singing and he He really doesn't rush into it there's a very slow, very purposeful build up to that
0: and it is a very not empty song, but it's it's sparse and it's you know you can always hear the brutality obviously it's written about war it's written about uh the Falklands War from the perspective of, of a dying soldier during that war and it it was written when the when the war was happening and it it very much brings across his his feeling of war is stupid i mean there's a quote from him we're just foolish to take part in anyone's war and you can hear his voice cracking at times during the live performance of it because there's so much emotion in that song
1: yeah and the the tempo of it just adds to it It's so slow that you kind of almost the almost the absence of beats and and noise just kind of builds up that that emotion.
0: Yeah, that just and the way his lyrics are almost just sprinkled on the top of this very sparse sound, like he's almost trying to delicately not break something
1: there. Yeah, I, I get it. If you don't know the
0: song listeners listen it's it's well worth it <laughs> i think most people will have heard brothers in arms even if they don't recognize it straight away <laughs> yes uh we should talk about some other dire straight stuff because while this album is great it's like i say not the best dire straits that there is it's just the thing that got me into them in the first place and it's got a special yeah. place in my heart
1: i really like walk of life
0: that was my first dire straits song that i really got into that keyboard intro is fantastic. Just the the upbeatness of it all is is awesome.
1: Yeah, how can you not like that? It's just um, it's a song that it just grabs you and says, "Go on, let's go and have some fun." If you are driving along in your car and Walker Life comes on, you are going to put a big smile on your face. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I've
0: got a big smile on my face just thinking about that intro.
1: Yeah, it's an amazing riff, and it's so simple, like
0: like all the best riffs. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinatingly, Dire Straits were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a little while back, and their induction was met with disappointment, mocking comments, just just a general sense of meh Mm -hmm. from a lot of the music press. And there was an American critic that I'd not heard his name before, but apparently he's well-known over there, who called out Dire Straits for being mediocre in his eyes, and Walk of Life was the biggest track that he criticises for just being this nonsense, upbeat, stupid keyboardy sound. And I couldn't disagree with him more. If I was having a bad day and I just got a
1: really nice Radiohead album to listen to all day and then you put that on, they're so different. And thematically, it's pretty simple stuff. They're not going to break any new ground. But
0: how can you not like a song that's just so pure as that? It's just happy. And some people just hate happiness, right? Misery loves company. And I think that's sort of where some of these critics seem to be coming from. Yeah,
1: I understand why that's been criticised. And if you listen to it, if you listen to it alongside all of the other s- songs we've talked about, the albums that we've talked mm-hmm. about over the last few months, it's definitely one of the more upbeat, enthusiastic kind of
0: yeah. bop around. But It's a lovely slice of pop rock. Yeah. And I'm fine with that.
1: It's a bit like a kind of, in a way, that ABBA do this. Yeah. They're like completely brash. We're going to have some fun. Here, listen to this. Absolutely. So
0: I think Walker Life is in the same bracket. Yeah. Funnily enough, Mark Knopfler didn't attend the induction into the Hall of Fame and has literally never commented on it. Really? <laughs> so there was an article that suggested that he might not even know that he's a Hall of Famer. I suspect he's aware of it, but he's he's just never talked about it publicly. Maybe he doesn't care. I think he thinks the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is bullshit, and I'm sort of tempted to agree with him. I sort of think a lot of Hall of Fame stuff is bullshit because it's, it's sort of a lot of pretentious critics working out who they agree on. It should be acts who are really heavily influential. So basically, we're producing the rock and roll slash music hall of fame from our perspective, but there'll be plenty of people out there who won't agree with us.
1: Well, it's it's we spoke about the Mercuries yep. in a similar way, and it, and you just think, yeah, I don't know. You can you can think too deeply into this. These kind of things are a nice way of it showing artists, and they they encourage debate as well.
0: Yeah, that's uh, true to an extent. Other tracks that I want to talk about: so Sortons a Swing is awesome that and brothers in arms are probably my two favorite tracks which is fascinating because they're like they bookend the career of dire straits sort of swing was the thing that got them famous in the first place it's their first real single and it did this weird thing where it got big in I think, germany or something and then it got big in the states and then it got re-released in the uk when it hadn't really done anything the first time around and then shot up the charts and they ended up at like top 10 somewhere in the charts with it.
1: Yeah, Sultan's a Swing is one where his guitar really sings out. That's one of the tracks where almost the chorus is the guitar. That's almost... He doesn't even bother singing. It's like, just yeah, I don't need to sing over this. Just listen to my
0: guitar. Whack. And it's more storytelling from him. So it's about a terrible jazz duo in a mostly abandoned pub. It was written in 1977 when they still obviously weren't known and they were basically broke. And... He was out one evening and it started pissing it down. So he he ducked into a pub and watched this terrible, awful jazz band. And apparently undeterred by the lack of both talent and punters, their lead singer finished the set with a mildly enthusiastic, Good night and thank you, we are the Sortons of Swing. And that's where it came from.
1: That's fantastic. I hope they're out there somewhere and they know that they've been just kind of spotted.
0: Well, they would have been... Still, I assume, around when the single came out, because they'd have presumably been one of those local bands that plays in a pub week in, week out for years on end, never going anywhere and not really caring about that. So they probably are very aware that it was written about them.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, it's great, isn't but it? But probably now they'll just—if they carry on with the same name—they'll just criticise for copying Dire Straits. <laughs> it's like no, no, no. The reason that we're called that is because yeah, we yeah. were there first.
0: Down to the waterline from that album is also worth a listen. Uh, it's an homage to both his hometown and London waterfronts, and just his love of being in those those kind of spaces. It's it's a really great track. Another bluesy folk rock type tracks.
1: It's like Ray Davis's, like Waterloo Sunset with the Kinks. It's kind of that kind of...
0: Yeah, not quite as upbeat as that, but yes. <laughs> singing about
1: London London life with the water.
0: Yeah, and we should probably mention Telegraph Road, which I sort of love because it's seven, uh, 17 minutes, 14 minutes long, because it's 14 minutes long, and probably a forebear to not for wanting to do more film soundtrack work, hence leading on to Local Hero. Yeah. It's a bit of a long track.
1: <laughs> I don't... I don't Know it I, as a as a track, so it's
0: worth listening. I think Dire Straits probably were one of the earliest acts that I was listening to, where they were making things that were longer than three and a half, four minute tracks. Yeah, you know, think about all the or most of the Beatles stuff. That kind of seventies, maybe early eighties, Queen would probably have been the longest with things like Bohemian Rhapsody, but that's about it.
1: Yeah, we could probably do a little podcast on. Songs that are over seven minutes long, which are absolutely awesome. I think we should go over ten. Over ten. Let's set a challenge my for goodness. ourselves. Oh, I'm I'm struggling on that one. I reckon we can find some. Is he simple? He's dumb. He's the pilot from Granddaddy. Over ten minutes. I don't think it is. That's uh, that's one of my favourite
0: tracks. Oh, uh, let's let's make a call on that. I like the idea of trying to go into double digits, but maybe maybe I'm narrowing it down. He's simple. Ah, oh, he's nine
1: minutes for Granddaddy. Damn it. All right. Well, maybe, on- maybe
0: maybe we set that as the bottom end so that track as long as that track is we've got to find other tracks that are longer than that talk about talk about epic tracks
1: epic tracks yeah uh, i could you know what there's there's some some quite interesting i'm I'm suddenly thinking of loads
0: let's do it let's do it (laughs) all right epic tracks episode i guess we should probably talk a little bit about bands that they influenced that i love so we've talked about counting crows the other one that popped up probably five years ago now was the war on drugs
1: uh yeah absolutely i can totally see the way that the war on drugs have been influenced by by dire straits it's it's obvious and i don't think the war on drugs really shy away from it that's their sound
0: no absolutely not they they have Springsteen, they have Dire Straits, they've very heavily been influenced by big stadium rock and they've run with it and they've written some wonderful music. And the really fascinating thing for me is that a lot of critics who would shit on Dire Straits big up the war on drugs.
1: Yeah. Is it just because they're new?
0: I, I genuinely have no idea because I think they're creatively very similar. They're both musically brilliant. They do this big layered... Massive epic sound, lots of stuff going on, lyrically clever. There's so much going on there that's, that's similar. And and I really don't understand why dire straits are kind of seen in that negative light when the war on drugs are seen as positive. I wonder whether it's partly the the fact that they weren't producing the right music at the right time, but still managed to sell a ton of records. And so they get kind of crapped on by people who... Liked those time-specific genres, and also by the people who just don't like you if you've sold lots of music.
1: Yeah, which would totally fit in with the whole dad rock thing. Like you'd never call the War on Drugs dad rock,
0: right? But they're totally influenced by it. Exactly. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I haven't ever seen them or him live. I know you're going to ask that question. I would love to go and see Mark Knopfler live, but no. Well, I
1: was, and I'm just trying to think if because I don't think I've been anywhere near them as a band
0: no my assumption is that i would probably only get to see him live if he happens to headline a big festival that i was at i suspect he's probably played the isle of white festival or somewhere like that where they always have an old school band on but dire straits will never reform and i don't know that mark Knopfler himself is a big enough name maybe i'd have to go and do some folk festivals or something to see him yeah maybe does he still play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still he's still creating music, still playing live sets. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see him live. I think he's an immense musician. He's an incredible guitarist, obviously, and I love his voice. So yeah, be a fun one. I don't know. I suspect he's probably one of those artists that now plays massive arenas where you're spending 80 quid a ticket. And I don't know that I'm that excited to see him. Maybe I would as a treat one year.
1: Yeah, I, if they did a a reform gig where they all got back together and and you know did their greatest hits, then maybe. But I, I don't know. I'm I've never really been that much of a fan. It's they've never been played on like the cast area or anything. So I've I've never really followed them that closely. So I don't think I would
0: put them in my bucket list. Fair enough. I I, I can understand why people wouldn't be that excited about it.
1: However, I do do think they have a. A very firm place in that kind of rock pantheon of awesome bands who do deserve credit even if it's just for walk of life just because i love that song so much
0: <laughs> fair enough cool Thank you for joining us this week. It's been a fun one. I've enjoyed. I always enjoyed talking about my stuff, obviously.
1: <laughs> no, it's been good too. Because, uh, again, um, even if it's just to remind myself of that terrible Brothers in Arms in- in- incident where I, <laughs> I just couldn't work out what was being played. Um, but, yeah, it's been, it's been good.
0: Cool. Cheers.
1: See you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.